week was kind of funny. I, um, when I designed my Summer of Stories series, I totally missed this Sunday. Like, I totally forgot that there was this Sunday. And uh, so I laid out all my sermons, and I, I had no idea what I was going to preach this Sunday. And uh, I, I, then I noticed that it was the Sunday. And for weeks, I was like, I, I don't know what I'm going to preach that Sunday. So last Sunday on a whim, still not knowing what I was going to preach this Sunday, I sort of tossed it out to the congregation, like, if you have a story, let me know. And uh, I got a bunch of really good ones. And I think next year, I might just let you pick the summer of story. And we'll do it again, but this time you get to pick all the stories. Um, And there was only one story that got multiple votes. And it was the story of Jonah. And I've hesitated to do Jonah because um, I would like to do a series on Jonah. I think there's a lot in this book. Uh, But I decided just because I preach a one-off sermon about Jonah doesn't mean I can't do a series later on. And Uh, I don't know how much you remember, first of all. But second of all, I don't have to say it all the first time. I can save some for later. So we are in the book of Jonah. And most people know Jonah just from Sunday school. They've never really looked at it as an adult. And in fact, Jonah has four chapters. And by chapter two, he's out of the fish, which means most people only know half of Jonah anyway. So today I want to try to give you the story of Jonah. And I'm going to be reading some sections of Jonah as we go. But really I'm, I'm preaching the whole book of Jonah and we weren't going to read all four chapters here today. I'm saving you a little bit of time on your Labor Day weekend. So I'll read some scripture as we sort of go through the sermon. Our story begins, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonas, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, And call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now, Nineveh was one of the largest cities, for a while was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. So it's in upper Iraq, sort of northern, northeastern Iraq is where it was. And for a while there, it was the largest city in the world. There was about a 50-year period where there is not a city in the world bigger than Nineveh. The text continues, verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. From the presence of the Lord, he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. God says, arise and go to Nineveh. So Jonah arose and went to Joppa. And from Joppa went to Tarshish. Now, we actually don't know where Tarshish is. We barely know how to say it. It's kind of a hard word to say. Okay, but we're not quite sure where it is, but we think it's probably a city in basically what you would know as Spain. In other words, it's as far from your perspective, as far west as any Jew had ever heard of. Okay, it is the other end of the world as far as he knew. And so he goes to the port of Joppa, which is this ancient, ancient port now part of the city of Tel Aviv. And uh, gets on a boat there. And the text is really telling here. He goes down to Joppa. He goes down into the boat. Whenever you run away from God, you're always going down. You might as well know that. Okay? So he is heading in the opposite direction. As far away from where God tells him to go as possible. And you're always running. Whenever you run away from God, you're always going down. Now why does he run? Well, actually, the text makes that clearer as the book goes on, but that's the question you're supposed to ask when you look at this book, is why does Jonah go the wrong way? 
Well, it'll be clear by the end of the story. By chapter 4, we will know why Jonah went the other way. But for right now, what you need to know is, is a little bit about the city of Nineveh and the Assyrians, who was the capital. The Assyrians have been called a terrorist nation, okay, a terrorist state. We know from history that they tortured, dismembered, and decapitated their enemies. They would wipe out entire ethnic groups. Um, so... There's a lot of stories. We know a lot of the stories of the Assyrians, and a lot of them I'm not going to tell you here today. One that's sort of typical, uh, they would chop off the legs and the left arm of a number of prisoners and leave the right arm so that they could shake their hands while they bled to death. That's a pretty typical Assyrian story. Okay, I'm not going to tell you worse ones. And not only do we, you know how we know this? They're written down, but also they're captured in their artwork. Okay, so we have frescoes and we have um, uh, like tile mosaics portraying the kind of cruel. In other words, they celebrated. They celebrated crimes against humanity. That's the Assyrians. That's who the Assyrians are. So when, they, when they are, the Assyrians are forced to marry with some of the Jews and they become the Samaritans, you know why they're so hated. They were terrible, awful people. Why would you want to go there? Nahum, the book that's placed right before Jonah in the Minor Prophets, or called the Book of the Twelve, calls Nineveh a city of blood and says that it, it did endless cruelty. These are people that had harassed and tortured Jewish people. And God tells you to go there. God tells you to go there and to proclaim that, that their stuff is evil. right? Proclaim the judgment of God. I don't know about you, but I don't want to go. <laughs> Sign me up for Tarshish. I'm going that way. I'm not going. Do you think if they do that to their enemies and you walk into their city proclaiming judgment against them, you're going to be treated nicely? No, he goes the other way. I can't say I blame him. I would probably run too. So he goes down to Joppa. He goes down in the boat and he's heading across the sea and he's sleeping in the boat. He's, he's um, probably just exhausted from the thought of going to Nineveh and the decision to run away from God's direct will. And how many of you, if God told you to go somewhere with an audible voice, you would think you would listen, right? But not Jonah. So God sends a mighty storm to Jonah's boat. And while he's sleeping in the bottom, these professional sailors that sail on the Mediterranean Sea all the, all the time are freaking out because the storm is so bad. Okay, anytime in the Bible there's a bad storm and the sailors think we're going to die, it's bad. They, they've been through it. Sailors are normally pretty calm in these circumstances. But these particular sailors, if you read the text, they seem to understand this is not just a storm. There's some kind of divine something behind this. So they go and they wake up Jonah. It's like, how can you be sleeping? We're all dying and you don't seem to care about us. So the sailors cast lots Okay, they, they roll dice or some kind of thing like that to try to figure out who is causing this, this storm. And the lot falls to Jonah. So they ask him a bunch of questions. Who are you? Where are you from? What is going on? What's your story? And his answer is interesting. Let me read it. I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Okay, he says two things. I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord. It's interesting that he says, I'm a Hebrew first. Okay, I think it's telling that he says he's a Hebrew first. 
Okay? I think there are some times... We have identities, right? We have our ways of viewing ourselves. And we have all kinds of factors that go into our identities, right? So I am, I'm Jordan. I'm the son of Debbie and Jim. And I'm white. And I'm male. And I'm heterosexual. And I'm an American, right? I'm from Western Pennsylvania, but I don't say yins, right? I have all these things that go in. So here's the thing. You have all these different factors in your identity. But what's the base one? Like, what's the lowest, what's the foundation of who you are? What's your foundational identity? And the problem is, we get all kinds of stuff. We have all kinds of identity, and we're in a culture that makes identities out of absolutely everything. But the question then, the question now is, what is your fundamental, down-at-the-base-level identity? What's your cornerstone? Okay? And it's telling that Jonah says, I'm a Hebrew. Okay? Because as a Hebrew, he wouldn't want... He wouldn't want to go to Nineveh. Okay, they're, they destroy, they're, they're hurting his nation. They're hurting his people. And then he says, I fear the Lord God. Oh yeah, you fear the Lord God? You ran the other way when he told you. Like how much do you really fear the Lord, your God? Right? If you really feared the Lord, you would have gone to Nineveh. But the fact that you started, see, this is the problem. Whenever we get an identity down lower than our identity that's found in Christ, than our, than our, than our God, then inevitably those identities become our gods. And we get confused about whether they are uh, religious or social or whatever. They become our religion because they're our fundamental identity. And if you don't think there are people for whom our nation today is their identity and is their fundamental, or you don't think because, I mean, name it, your job, your prestige, your honor, uh, your class, your... uh, um, your race, whatever it is that's fundamental in your life, all those things become what we would call in the Bible idols, right? So Jonah, he fears the Lord? No, he doesn't. He really cares that he's a Hebrew, I think. Okay? He fears the Lord second, but not enough to actually go do what God tells him to do. That's why he's on the boat. So he tells the men, you're going to have to throw me overboard. And the men say, no, 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 no. We're gonna. So they get rid of all the cargo. They throw off as much as they can. They're doing everything they can to this boat. And finally they give in and they throw Jonah overboard. Now this is another interesting moment, right? Because Jonah has another option. It's called repentance. Lord, I'm sorry. Fine. I'll go to Nineveh. Right? Uh, turn the boat around and start heading me back to Joppa. I'll go to Nineveh and you all will be safe. But Jonah would rather die. He would rather die. Throw me overboard. I'm not repenting. I'm not going to Nineveh. You better just throw me overboard here. They do. The storm stops. And then, this is the reaction of the men. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So here we have Jonah, the prophet. And what he's supposed to tell these pagan people in Nineveh is, you better worship the Lord your God. He ends up going the other way. He ends up in a storm. He ends up thrown overboard. But still, his prophetic ministry is working. These sailors are praising the Lord. And when the, when the text says here, the Lord, it's in all caps, meaning it's the divine name. It's Yahweh. They actually praise God in this moment and make sacrifices and have vows. Even as he's running, God is using him. So he won't listen, but they will listen, and now a fish will listen. 
Verse 17, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, this is a crazy part of the story. And there's all kinds of attempts to understand this. Is this story a legend? Uh, maybe. Um, but, but I'm one who, if we're going to believe in the resurrection, I think everything else is on the table for me. Right? If a resurrection, if we're going to believe the resurrection, I can believe anything. Now, there has been an attempt to try to make this a little more scientifically possible. And what they say is, well, what, they, what, they, what it really was was a whale. That way he could have oxygen that way he could live in the whale. For, but but here's, there's two problems with that. Um, number one, as somebody was pointing out, Lana was pointing him out, she saw an article that said, if you were in the belly of a whale for three days, you would die from all of the acid and everything in the stomach of the whale. That's number one. Number two, the Hebrew word here really is fish. Okay? They weren't stupid. They knew the difference. But they may not have known all the differences, but they could look and see, oh, that's a fish and that's a whale. Okay, this is fish. He's in the belly of a fish for three days. And um, I tend to just read the Bible and take it at face value. And that's how I approach those things. And some people need an explanation. I never seem to need an explanation. I'm just fine going with it. I don't know. Uh, So he's in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. In chapter 2, he prays an amazing prayer, this, this very poetic prayer um, in fact, it is a poem or a song uh, from the belly of the whale, and you should go read it this week. But let me read a couple verses of it. I called out to the Lord in my, out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. <laughs> I love this. I cried out for help, and he answered me. He said from the belly of the whale, of the fish. You know what I mean? He's actually praising God for an answer he has not received yet. You understand that? For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me, and your waves and billows passed over me. What an amazing prayer from the belly of the fish. Praising God for the answer before he has the answer. And Jonah also uses this prayer to speak out against those who worship idols. The end of, towards the end of the prayer, he says, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope and steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you uh, what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So he says, all those people with, with idols, you know, they're, they're, they're nothing. You know, I will, I will do what I said. Except, Jonah, how did you get here in the first place, right? Jonah still, I don't think, has, and you're going to see in a minute, has not dealt with the idols in his own life. So chapter 2 ends with this gem of a verse. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. The word vomit is a pretty good translation. Okay? This is not a gentle experience. Okay? So he gets out, showers, I'm hoping, right? And uh, now on dry land, the word of the Lord again comes to Jonah, and he is again told to arise and go to Nineveh. So Jonah walks into this large city and begins to proclaim, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. The, the term overthrown is an interesting one. And it, it can mean to like overthrow an empire, overthrow, or it can mean turned over. Okay? It can be changed, like turning over a new leaf, like becoming new. And much to Noah's surprise, Nineveh does that. 
actually does what he says, but not what he's expecting. It overturns. It changes. They repent. They put on sackcloth. The king makes a decree and declares a fast. He hopes that maybe God will turn away from his anger. And here's the zinger of a verse, verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented from the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. God relented. He changed his mind. Okay, God was heading in one direction, and he turned in another. He responded to his people. This is good news, right? Jonah's prophetic ministry worked. The turnover was not the, the destruction of the city. It was a change in this entire city. What a win. This could be the greatest moment in prophetic ministry history. Okay, The greatest sermon ever preached. Billy Graham has nothing on this moment. These evil, terrible people turn over. But hold on a minute. What do we do, not just with God changing his mind, what do we do with the grace extended to these people who were terrible? Okay, people guilty of crimes against humanity are now receiving grace. They're terrible, not just as individuals, they're terrible as a society. They celebrated the kind of stuff that they did. If you and I are a little confused or maybe a little bothered by this, we, we probably should be. It's not fair. And if you and I are confused and a little bothered by this, Jonah was really confused and bothered by this. Verse Jonah chapter 4 says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. He is mad at God. He's ticked. And he prays to God. And in this prayer, we finally get a better glimpse of what, why Jonah really ran the other way. He said, O oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? Again, what's he talking about? He's talking about his country again. That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew you were our gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Did you catch that? Why didn't Jonah want to go to, to Nineveh? It's not because he was scared of Nineveh. Maybe he was scared of Nineveh. But it's ultimately because he knew that God was loving and that God was gracious. And he said, Nineveh doesn't deserve your grace. Nineveh doesn't deserve your love and doesn't deserve your grace. And I didn't want to be the emissary of love and grace to those people. Again, his priority is showing. He refers to his country again. Jonah keeps coming back to that. Because God, how could you love these people and show grace to these people when they have done such terrible things to me and mine? Right? How could you? God asks him, do you do well to be angry? Well, yes and no if you're Jonah. Yeah, I think there's a reason to be upset. I don't want those people who have been so terrible to my people, who are always threatening my people. I don't want them to receive love and grace. I want them to have the justice for the wounds that they have done to me and to mine. They have tortured and killed my kinsmen. Yeah, he's kind of hoping for destruction, and I can see his point. But no, he does not have the right to be angry, because here's the difference. And Jonah doesn't get this, and neither do we. God is God, and you and I are not. You might as well deal with this right now. 
God is God, and you and I are not. God is God, and Jonah is not. Who is Jonah to tell God who he should and should not love? As if it matters to God what you and I think. And the irony is, God has been ridiculously graceful to Jonah, hasn't he? <laughs> Jonah, who went the opposite way. Okay, There's this other thing God does with, called a, a pillar of salt, right? Lightning from heaven. I mean, there's a whole lot of other things God could have done for somebody as directly disobedient as Jonah had been. God has been so gracious to Jonah, yet Jonah doesn't want that grace to go to these other people. So in chapter 4, God gives another lesson from Jonah. This is uh, the climax of the story, and most people don't even really know it. So Jonah, after doing all this, goes out. Remember, he had, he had prophesied that in 40 days the city would be overturned. So he goes up on a hill that's sort of overlooking this giant city, and, and he sits there, and he builds like a booth. They call it a booth. It'd be sort of a, sort of a shade tent. Right, give himself a little bit of shade, and he's going to sit there and he's going to watch because he wants to see what's going to happen to Nineveh. I think he's still hoping. You know that pillar of salt, lightning from the sky. Lord, bring it on right there. There it is. I can see it. I got a good front row seat. Let the fireworks begin. Bring on the plagues. So he makes himself a little booth shades area. Start to watch it. So God, it says, uh, that God appoints a plant to grow up. Some kind of plant with, a big, with big leaves. So it grows up beside and it gives this wonderful shade. Okay? And that, it seems like a silly thing, shade. But when you're Jonah and you've been through everything that you've been through, a little bit of shade's probably nice. I'm sure Jonah is like, oh, finally something is going my way. I got some shade from this plant. But overnight, God appoints a worm to come and eat at that plant. So Jonah wakes up in the morning, and his fabulous plant is no more. And he's miserable again. In fact, God appoints a scorching wind from the east. So they get this really hot wind coming off the desert. So not only is his shade gone, but now it's really, really, really hot. Okay? It's, it's very hot for Iraq. Like, think about how hot that is. And so it is just scorching. And let me read the conclusion of the book of Jonah. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And Jonah said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh? That great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who did not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. So God catches Jonah. You want to die because the plant died. Okay? You care so much about this plant that you didn't do anything for it, just routed up. But now you want to die because it's taken away from you. Why? Because the plant was convenient for Jonah, was helpful for Jonah. Okay, I get benefit from the plant. But Jonah is supposed to learn the lesson that it's not about your comfort. It's not about what you want. God has pity and God has love for all these people who don't know their right from the left. They don't know any better. And God says, I'm going to give my grace to them. 
And I love that he also says, and to their cattle. I love that God loves the cattle, right? Like, you want destruction. But you get mad when the plant is, is, gets destructed, right? Gets torn apart. Why? Because it was convenient for you. But you think I judge everything based on what you like and what you don't like and what's convenient for you and what's not convenient for you? You think I should have left the plant because it was good for you and I should destroy them because they were bad for you? God's saying, who's the God here? Right? Who is the God in this story? Jonah needs the world to learn that the world does not revolve around him. More than that, Jonah needs to more fully experience the depth and breadth of God's grace. Jonah can't seem to see how graceful God has been to him. Now here we are, a second rebellious period, and still God is trying to teach Jonah a lesson, right? Still no pillar of salt for Jonah, okay? No lightning from the sky for Jonah. Jonah is getting grace upon grace upon grace. Uh, recently read a book by a guy named Timothy Keller, and he talks about this story and says that this is the story of the prodigal son. That Jonah was the son that ran away to a far-off country. And now Jonah is the son that will sit on the outside and judge God's actions, but won't come into the party. And both sons and both acts of Jonah miss out on the love and the grace. And it's amazing in the book of Jonah because everybody else is obeying. Everything else is obeying. The sea follows God's lead. The pagan sailors praise the Lord. The fish does his appointed work. The Ninevites respond to God's call. The plant grows at its appointed time. The worm eats its appointed meal. The hot eastern wind follows its appointed path. Everybody else is falling in line except for who? Jonah. The one who should have known. The one who had the history. The one who had the great stories. The one who God spoke to directly, but he still can't get it. The prophet who fears the one true God, but not enough to do what he says. And still God works through him. And still God gives him grace. And that's the good news of Jonah. Because I don't know how often you've ignored God. I don't know how often you put yourself in the place of God. But God is still in the business of giving grace when you don't deserve it. He's still in the business of throwing you in the fish sometimes. And he's still in the business of causing some challenges sometimes. And I don't always like when God takes away my shade or when God puts me in the belly of a fish. But sometimes what God is trying to do is get us to understand his grace and love in a way that we have not yet understood. And along the way, even though we're imperfect, sailors find God. Nineveh finds God. Even though Jonah's attitude is in the wrong place, God can still work through him and praise God because he still works through me too. And he still works through you too. So where is your heart? Where is God calling you to go where you're running the other way? And may God work through each of us instead of despite each of us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.